I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley. Welcome back to TF3, where this week we are talking all about, well, the Premier League, and then Italy, and then back to the Premier League, La Liga, all sorts of things. Two people joining me to do that, as Adam is away this week. Wish him luck. He's doing good things. Boo. No, Dave. Bultwood. Bultwood. <laughs> no, sir, I think they're saying Bultwood. Um, anyway, Dave, welcome back. Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, and Chris as well, who's all the way over in the states. Evening, evening or morning, depending on. What. But I think they're saying boo Henage, boo Benage. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get straight down to it. A lot of great Premier League football happened this weekend. We'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on it as you listen to the podcast at the front three on Twitter, and go to go immediately. And that means right now to our YouTube and subscribe where our latest video will also just have gone up. Uh, some good things going on online this week. Let's start on Saturday, though, Kristen, where Chelsea beat Tottenham and continue their great run against this side at Stamford Bridge. Uh, but not without a real battle between, uh, well, one side who's suddenly been questioned and another side who, when they are questioned, are actually standing up to those questions. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's one of the the things that you can take away from this game is that the Chelsea system at, at this point, as as time moves on, is becoming more refined <clears throat> in its understanding. So you have guys, and they're often picked out, Victor Moses, Pedro, who, uh, with the benefit of time, are becoming better drilled in those roles and know how to exploit the benefits of them. Um, I think honestly, and I wrote something similar to this at. I think it was like the start of the year, maybe about maybe even been March, April time about Tottenham and Liverpool and how they had gone out and got coaches that were better fits for the squads at the disposal and that they were managing to get good kind of end product out of players that had previously kind of been uh, deemed misfits, if you will. So Lalana was a good example. Lamella was a good example for, for Tottenham. And I think you're seeing a similar thing with Chelsea here and the likes of Moses and Pedro. I mean, Moses, I don't think Moses had actually made his Premier League debut until this season. I think he'd only been for Chelsea. out on loan at, at that point. Yeah, for Chelsea, to sorry, yeah, to, to clarify. Um, for Tottenham, on the, the flip side of that, they just seem a little bit ragged at this point in the sense, and I'm talking about this from a very macro perspective, not necessarily on the field, 
but you have the whole Musa Sissoko thing, Pochettino kind of breaking his own internal rule about not speaking about tactical decisions in relation to specific players in the press and really singling him out and saying, you know, it's, it's not about price tags. That's why Sissoko was left out. Yeah. I think this is a, a growth period for Tottenham in that sense. I think they're, they're moving on to what is very new ground for them as a club, especially in the Pochettino. And they're trying to feel their way through it without falling down too many times. Especially also what feels like a growth period for Pochettino as well. We're currently uh, doing some uh, content on Pochettino, which will be out very soon on TFR. But um, the fascinating side has been about the, the discipline and the, um, the, the shaping of the man and how he never strayed far from what he originally thought, Chris. And now... A lot of journalists are beginning to question that. And if just a few weeks ago, when we began to sort of finish off this documentary and put the tweaks on it, it felt like the complete opposite. Yeah, I think, you know, the interesting thing about this is we look at, I think Jurgen Klopp's a good comparison on this. We look at Klopp last season, and then we look at the business he managed to get done in the summer and how that has improved Liverpool because he got more players that fit with him. And a lot of that, I think... Um, is down to the infrastructure that's there in terms of player acquisition. And that's something that I think, and I believe I've touched on this before on this podcast, the that is lacking at Spurs at the minute. It's And, and actually, um, I think it was Ted Knutson who tweeted this. Apologies if it was someone else. Um, actually, it might have been him who retweeted it. The idea that your recruitment strategy is is important in so many different ways in relation to things like if a player, for example, Michi Batshuayi becomes available, can your team react quickly enough to scout, evaluate and determine whether he's a good fit for your team? And I think if you look at Spurs, there's a really good example of a team who do not have a robust and efficient um, transfer strategy at this point or recruitment strategy or recruitment team. Mm. Because in Sissoko, they bought someone very late in the window for a huge fee, I would argue double what he's even close to being worth um, at this point. And for all the talk of, of him fitting the mould as a winger, I don't actually think he gives them what they need because Pochettino talked about wanting a winger who could break the lines. And he, he said, you know, we have a lot of players who like it into feet. I want someone who can sort of get in behind a bit like Sadio Mane, for example. I don't think that Sissoko is that kind of player, realistically. I can't remember a huge number of occasions where he did that. If anything, he tended to get the ball into feet and then beat someone in a one-on-one situation. And Mm -hmm. it does. It goes back to that recruitment strategy again. And the idea of you saying, okay, it's June 1st. We need a winger. We need this. And then going and getting a list of wingers and then whittling it down and working out the perfect player for you. And if you can't get that player, which I think was Mane in this case... Who is the second option and can we get them in time? And mm. that's what I think Spurs are lacking at the minute. They've got all the mentality or they've got all the ambitions of a big club. They just need some of the infrastructure now on a very almost cellular level, I think, to really push them to that point. Um, I'm, I completely agree. I concur in that sense. Um, in all senses. D- Dave, there are some people, and you maybe as a stat man, because you're a stat man, can uh, <laughs> tell me... Why Why are Spurs fans and some Spurs pundits saying, hey, focus on the first half, the second half is an anomaly? Because obviously, the, you know, the, the, the Chelsea goals, you know, the, the, the winning goal in this game was sort of bundled in by Victor Moses in that sense. Um, and some people are saying, so ignore everything else that goes on. But it's hard to do that when you come over zero points. 
So I think in terms of of stats wise, you know, they showed that Spurs were absolutely awesome in the first half. And unfortunately, they conceded the goal at the complete wrong time. In the first half, Spurs created eight chances uh, to Chelsea's single chance, and they scored from that chance. But with that, their Spurs were so, so dominant. It was like they were alive again. It was like the Ericsson, Deli Alley were combining well. Again, Harry Kane obviously is getting back to form and, and regaining that sort of thing. But it was sort of a Spurs performance from last season when they really fired up and motivated. And I really do think that goal in half time was so, so crucial. That Pedro goal. Um, absolute massive, massive, massive goal for them, and it really took the stuff. You know, it took the stuffing out of them. And I think stats-wise, in the second half, Spurs only created two chances: eight in the first half, two in the second. They were so deflated, and Chelsea just built on the momentum. And again, like you mentioned, the Pedro, the uh, Moses goal for the winner was a little bit scrappy. Was coming on a counter attack. Was coming on one of the few chances Chelsea did create, but they were clinical, and that's what Chelsea have been since switching to this three-four-three um, or the. Uh, the 5-4-1 if you want to call it because they defend a lot in this system I think it is going away from two at the back and it is actually a five at the back but it does look so so good yeah, again maybe, we spoke about that in, in length before maybe bundled in feels a little bit unfair because actually it was a it was a lovely move but you, you know what I mean by that like that they'll feel that they've felt like they've they won't have done it properly because their mm. defenders bunched up like you said it was it was a, a bad execution of tactics I think um, what kind of also shows from that as well is the, the use of what Conte is doing with this wing back you know these wing backs aren't just defending you know, uh, Vic, uh, sorry, uh, Alonso on the left-hand side is a little bit more defensive, but Moses is given that license to counter-attack, and we've seen time and time again he uses his pace and his strength and his Dave, energy to get up and down. Dave, in that sense, is it more like a four-four-two essentially? Because I mean, I, I see what you say, but is is Moses to me sometimes looks more like a, a winger who tracks back? Do you know what I mean? So I, I think I think with this system, it's so interesting. It's so interesting to break it down because sometimes it does look like a four-four-two if you freeze frame it. Mm. Again, with Eden Hazard on that left-hand side staying um, quite high, and then Pedro covering Moses. But like you mentioned there, you know the overlap for the goal. It was an overload on that left on the right-hand side. That's how yeah. they scored. But it does transition between a four-four-two, a three-four-three, a five-four-one, but also a three-five-two. You know, there's parts where it looks like numbers. a three-five-two, and it's it's just fascinating. And that's why I've, I've enjoyed it so much. It's that it does change and it basically it's more that Conte deserves such credit for his coaching that this team has become so fluid and so flexible within this framework that he's built that they're doing so well in the Premier League and they have been so dominant what was the first goal that they've conceded in a 3-4-3 in the Premier League was against Spurs it's after like five or six games I think it was over over 500 minutes of action that is incredible yeah well that will happen in the end you will concede a goal in football Uh, it's inevitable or is it Actually, is it inevitable you can see the goal in football? I suppose you could. Technically, if you could, yeah, you could create a team that would never concede a goal. Um, that was ridiculous. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, in the end, Chelsea won it, and that leaves Chelsea sitting top of the Premier League, thirty-one points, which means they're a point away from Liverpool and a point away from Man City, who both sit on thirty points just below them. Arsenal still within touching distance of those Blues. Uh, in fourth place, well, where else would you expect them at this point? Um, 28 points there. And all those guys with a pretty uh, bombastic goal difference of uh, a range of plus 19 to plus 15. And of course, Chris, it was interesting to see Arsenal's result on the weekend. 3-1 against Bournemouth. Some fans still not happy with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I find that bizarre. I find it bizarre that fans would criticise that. Um Again, I think it's difficult because Arsenal as a football club has such a huge platform on the internet and on YouTube, etc. So 
you you sometimes wonder if the opinion you're getting is a fair representation of the entirety of Arsenal fans in that sense. It's not. Um, I, I think it's the not. performance itself. Hello, DT. It's not. Um, I, I think honestly, the the performance itself. November is seen as a hugely difficult month for Arsenal. Yeah, they, and they've gotten through it though, Chris. Yeah, that that's the interesting thing, and that's where it kind of just twigs in my mind. Maybe this year is different for them, and yeah, so Uh-oh. often when you put that expectation on them, that's where you? everything starts to crumble. You did it. Um, I think. I think potentially what they've taken from this month in games like this, maybe this is the, the crescendo in that sense, is that they've they've shown a little bit of mental strength to them. They've been able to claw themselves out of some difficult situations. And yes, I think you could form a fairly sound argument that against a slightly better calibre of forward, they would have lost that game. I think it's also fair to, to acknowledge that they turned the style on for just a little brief period just to kind of kill off Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, and, and ultimately, look, this is one of the difficulties is that so often you, you revise these kind of situations after the fact. So if, for example, Arsenal do win the, the league, we'll look back at this and say, yeah, you know, there were so many games where they didn't play well and they still won. Games like Bournemouth. Or you'll say that was the hallmark of the champion. They were able to pull out a result when really they were very mediocre for large parts of that that's game. Really writing, so I think, that's really writing a backwards narrative, though, isn't it? I mean, it is. It is in a lot of ways. I, I think... At this point for Arsenal, they've got through what is their trickiest month, so hopefully that alleviates the pressure on them moving forward. I think that's the other difficulty sometimes watching games at the Emirates is that you do kind of feel that the the whole place can be a little bit of a an echo chamber for negativity. Yeah. And that it can, I imagine, be quite a hard place to play in terms of, of the home players because... Yeah, when when things are going smooth, it's fine. It's, it, you often, I think, learn more about a stadium and a supporter base when things are going wrong. How do they react to that? Mm, very good point, Dave. Uh, obviously, that also leaves Bournemouth in uh, twelfth place now, just behind uh, Stoke City, Southampton, uh, Bournemouth on fifteen points, sitting pretty pretty in the middle of the table there. Although you know, a drop uh, a drop down to the uh, relegation zone is just four points away. Um, do you think there's a danger that they'll be sucked back down to that area and, and go down? Or, yeah. Massively, yeah. I think there's a bit of a danger. Uh-oh. They did, you know, they had they had spells against Arsenal where they they did dominate the ball for a bit, but Arsenal just looked kind of solid when Bournemouth had mm. it. You know, Bournemouth were a little bit toothless in the final third, similar to last season. Um, but just quickly touching on Arsenal quickly, I thought Sanchez was unbelievable again. And this season, he's been so so good in the Premier League. The crazy stat that jumps out of there is that only Granit Xhaka had more touches on the ball than Alexis Sanchez against Bournemouth. And it's just showing his his massive impact playing this false nine role and then moving to that left-hand side. But yeah, I do feel Bournemouth are going to be dragged into that relegation battle 100%. Well, Dave, talk to me a little bit about another team who may be dragged into that relegation <laughs> I battle. I know where this is going. Manchester <laughs> um, United. For, uh, well, Dave, I, I wanted to talk about the other United uh, on this day, which is West Ham. Uh, but of course, let's go to Old Trafford and one all. Uh, between Manchester United and West Ham, what a what a I mean, wait, what you you won all and West Ham went one mm. nil up. Yeah, it was um, again. It was it was a really strange performance. 
performance. Like, arguably, it could have been 4-1 to United, 5-1 to United if they'd taken the chances. You know, just riddling them back off from my memory. You've got the Marcus Rashford one-on-one. You've got the Zlatan Ibrahimovic where he um, forces James Collins into a massive mistake and then rounds the keeper, but the touch is a bit poor and gets pushed out of play. Then you've got the chance that Zlatan has the Pogba creates him in the first half where he's free in the area, um, takes a little bit too long on the ball to get his shot away. You know, death three pretty big chances that aren't put away but then credit to um, Rudolph in, in the West Ham goal but it's it's absolutely crazy the amount of saves that these keepers keep making when they come to Old Trafford what Tom Heaton made 11 saves some of them were some of those saves were absolutely world class the save on Zlatan's bicycle kick was unbelievable then you go to the the Stoke game and then Lee Grant makes 8 saves and again some of those are absolutely incredible the Sweet. save down again to Zlatan I just, I don't know. I think it might be sort of a luck or lack of quality in those areas. It, so, it's confusing. Um, yeah, that, well, that's kind of it, isn't it, uh, Dave? Is, is it luck or quality? Because at the moment, there is there is uh, a very blurred line for a lot of pundits Manchester United. Mm. One minute they call them great quality. The next minute they're saying, hey, this guy's rubbish. And actually, I saw Nipun from the ULF podcast, which is the United Liverpool Fans podcast. Um, and he was saying that people would be stupid to underestimate Pogba in the same way that you have. And also that, uh, you know, Pogba, whilst the stats about his first assist, etc., etc., are coming out this weekend, actually, he's created the most chances in the league mm-hmm. and they just haven't been put away. Well, I think that's a big thing. Well, I think I did I did a piece a while, a while ago, maybe two, three weeks ago, that I went well, mate, back tweeted it. You, that. I looked at some some of the some of the uh, chances that Pogba had been creating in the Premier League, and it was ridiculous. It was one game. There were three clear cut chances he created, and again this weekend creates another massive one for Zlatan. Crystal. So that's then we've got like six assists, right? Yeah, that'd be top of the Premier League, which would be incredible. But I, t- I think in terms of the data <sighs> as well, like which is quite fan. interesting. <laughs> Just going into the data to look a little bit deeper, you know, to, to look whether we are, you know, it is bad luck from Manchester United or potentially it is poor finishing. So last season in the Premier League, there were 988 goals scored um, from 3,232 shots on target. OK, so that's a conversion rate of every time that you hit the target with a shot, 30% of 31% of the time that's going to go in. Yes. OK. Let's slow down with the numbers. Okay, so remember no, no, that. No, you're fine. You're doing 30% good. Rookie, but 31%. Right. right, got you. Okay, then, then moving on to what Man, United have, what Man United have done against West Ham, Stoke and Burnley, right? They've had yes. 28 shots on target right. and only scored two goals. That's so a that's low a conversion percentage. rate of 7%. It's lower. Yeah, that's lower. So going back into real terms, what that kind of means is that, that in the whole of the Premier League last season, on average, you scored one goal every three shots on target you have. Yeah. Man United in those three games... Scored one goal in 14 shots on target. Wow. And then you go even further, and then you look at like the shot plot. And I'd, I'd also say the shot plot against um, Stoke and, Bur- and Burnley was quite central. So there's, it's clustering in the middle of the goal. Interesting. So the corners aren't getting picked out. Against West Ham, it was a little bit different. It was spread a little bit more to the bottom corners. But against Burnley and, and West Ham, maybe it's Man United's poor finishing that's costing them. If you enjoyed that, go and give uh, us a five stars on iTunes. You don't hear that shit on the ramble, all right? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, let, let's move on a little bit uh, from that one, Dave, because Mourinho's lost it. Oh, hold on a minute. No, he's just passionate, say the uh, deluded or realistic Manchester United fans. It just depends on which deluded perspective you have, the deluded perspective of the journalist or the deluded perspective of the Manchester United fan. Which way do you feel, Dave? 
<laughs> I thought it was funny. He just kicked a bottle. Dave, Dave you, got, you got sent off for disrespect. I, I, I swear, I swear. I think someone found a clip of David Moyes doing that uh, when he was United manager. Yeah. Guess well, but I mean, Dave, <laughs> this kind of issue that we have to address in a sense, because there are quite a few people tweeting about it saying, you know, one minute you say that Klopp and Conte are brilliant men for having passion. The next minute mm. you say that Mourinho shows too much emotion. Now let's let's define the difference between those men. Dave, has Klopp <laughs> ever poked anyone in the eye? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jurgen Klopp, right? Celebrating one of the goals for Liverpool last season. Yep. I remember his glasses came off. Yep. Is that not dangerous? Well, I mean, if they've got hepatitis on them, yes, Dave. Let me, let, me, let me finish off my argument. Yep. Could that potentially poke somebody in the eye and blind them? What happens if the, the the lenses fall out and smash? That is so dangerous. That's more dangerous than a bottle for me. Dave, are you making fun of me? <laughs> no. Right. What are you on a bottle? No, I, I just want to be sure of that, Dave. It's just that <laughs> sometimes people use humour to mask real pain. <laughs> real pain and hatred. Yeah. And, and upset that United can't seem to put the ball in the back of the net. No, lot of I'm fine. I'm just saying, Dave. I'm just saying. Chris, do you have any perspective on this? Because obviously as a journalist yourself, you would have written, you would have considered Mourinho. And... You will appreciate the nuance that maybe some, I, maybe I feel some United fans are removing from this. That actually, with Mourinho's history, yes, it's not United that are being treated differently. It's Jose. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think when you've pushed the boundaries in the way that he has, there, there comes a point where even the smallest infraction will be punished quite heavily. I think, funnily enough, Lee Catamull suffers from a similar sort of perception and two great trophy winners um <laughs> yeah I, I think i mean look i think in a lot of ways it, it makes great headlines doesn't it he's got more touchline bands and home wins this season that kind of thing it's it all neatly fits into 140 characters i think for him personally we're still trying to define which jose Mourinho this is um richard jolly wrote a really good piece for for yahoo um this week about about that and and the idea that, you know, his, his second spell at Chelsea kind of ended on the idea that he wasn't as in control as he used to be. He wasn't as suave and sophisticated. He was just a little bit of a, a blary kind of ageing manager that had, for the most part, lost control. And, yeah. and I think the thought was that Manchester United, for, for optimists at least, and, and perhaps even fans who, who were on board, was the idea that he would get a fresh start, that essentially... He wouldn't be suffering the burnout, that he wouldn't be letting the molehills turn into mountains anymore. Whereas realistically, it looks like he's kind of doing that. That's that's the thing with Mourinho is the third season syndrome, which we've we've talked about. It's often preceded by him letting situations spiral out of control and pouring petrol on them rather than water. And I think you're looking at a Manchester United team now that, again, he is kind of starting needless problems. You know, ousting Schweinsteiger into the reserves and the youth team and then having to bring him back and, and things like that. It just doesn't seem as if the control is as ubiquitous I, yeah. as it once was. No, I, see, I see your point. I, I also see that maybe it is easy for a journalist, like you say, to paint in broad, broad brushstrokes and maybe dis be disrespectful to a man who has won a lot in the game. But at the same time, I get it does irk me a little bit when people draw lines between the way that someone's treated and sort of say it's unfair because actually there is a big difference between um, Klopp and Mourinho or Conte and Mourinho uh, and I think there are there, as much as people say there are agendas and the people that need to be treated fairly I agree I also think that Jose Mourinho has treated some people unfairly I also think Klopp's treated some people unfairly 
I also think they deal with it in different ways at times. Um, I, th- I think, honestly, if if you can even draw parallels, I always look to a, a piece of advice my dad gave me when I was young, which is, you know, you shouldn't measure your own sort of standards by those around you. You should only keep internal ones and measure yourself up against your own standards. And I think that's kind of the problem is that so... <coughs> So often we're quick to talk about, well, Klopp did this and Conte did this and this person did that. It really, it should be, for me, it should be evaluated in isolation of the moment and what they were doing. Well, yeah, I agree. But then when you have a league system and you're competing against other people, then naturally there will be, well, I mean, the whole point of a league system is to draw comparisons between other people's performance and your own. Um, And so I I do see your point I I agree things should be treated in isolation everything uh, you're almost making the point that uh, everything has a nuance which maybe you know goes beyond competition Um, and so you can't really compare those two and it maybe is a little um, facetious and short-sighted at times of some of these journalists uh, to uh, to go about the the way that they do in the sense that they're disrespectful and at the same time uh, almost cut off their nose despite the face and the way they report stuff about Mourinho uh, anyway United got the draw Dave in the end you'll be pleased to know uh, so they big point big point in the relegation battle massive point in the relegation battle Dave massive point yeah uh, and that keeps them well within touching distance of the oh shit oh no of the relegation battle right sure Dave sure um, let's go to um, Burnley not literally Dave uh, because the Cross City rivals uh, Man City, ooh, they got a win, Dave, but it wasn't as they know it. <laughs> that was it. it was quite a, quite an interesting game of football. I quite enjoyed it. It was um, the classic styles of Pep Guardiola versus a Sean Dyche Burnley side. <laughs> direct versus short, slow tempo versus direct pacey tempo. Uh, it was a it was a fairly decent game um, of moments of quality. I think that was the thing. It wasn't an overall great game to watch. They got um, the over Burnley the line goal. In the same way they did in the middle of the week. I think that's quite an interesting thing to say, you know, and I'd say that Yaya Torre is still quite important to the City side. You know, when he came back and he came, you know, started the game, started the, the first game, came back, scored two goals, won City the game. But I think this Burnley game gave City some physicality that they lack in the centre of the park against quite a like physical and aggressive Burnley team. And it helped City get further forward. Um, you know, you look at the, the build up for the last goal, Yaya Torre in the penalty area, getting around... Aguero and I think that's what they kind of lack when they play De Bruyne, Silva um, you know Grunduan potentially don't have that physical physicality in the fire, in the penalty area with uh, with Aguero in there so I feel like it gave a little bit more for, for Manchester City but Aguero you know since being injured he scored five goals in six games for Manchester City but I'd also like to say Fernandinho you know a, a, a driving force in this City team and you know Pep Guardiola has noticed his talents but I just kind of love him as a footballer he's so aggressive he's so good on the ball um, and again, so crucial. His work rate and determination to get the ball back to sort of push City over the line. It was more a determined performance than a sort of Guardiola special. We're going to pass you to death performance. It was actually real fight, and we're going to we want to you know we want to take take the game to you in a way. And credit to Fernandinho for sort of enforcing that. Mm, yeah, good good point. Good point. Um, anyway, uh, let's move away from Burnley. Uh, Manchester City, of course, stay within touching distance, of course, of the top of the table. Their manager. Well, Dave, he's managed to just keep his cool. Um, but I do have one question. <laughs> I have one question for you. Yes. And it, it, I, see, I sort of see it. Uh, Pep Guardiola mm-hmm. 
he has his morals, he has his ideals, he has all these things. But then in his yes. press conference and to the to the players and the press, he says, we got over the line and that's what matters. But surely that's going to irk him a little bit, that at the moment, his style, or what he what he's trying to, what, what he has put out on the pitch, not what he's trying, but what he has put out on the pitch, isn't performing in the way that you'd imagine he wants it to. Yeah, see, I think the thing with Pep is it's the other way around. That because he's a perfectionist, that it will motivate him even more. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, though, is that I, I, right. I, I understand that motivation, but at the same time, that motivation must come from, there must be a bit of an irk there, or there's I, something I, there. Do you know what I mean? I think we're just starting to see what Pep Guardiola is really like with the press. You know, you speak to any journalists in Spain when he was Barcelona manager at the end of his tenure, people started to think he was a bit of a knob. Similar when he was in, in Germany at the end of his tenure, people started to be a bit like, he's a bit short-tempered, he's snapping, he's maybe he's just bringing it a little bit earlier to the Premier League. Maybe we're seeing that, um, you know, fast press conference style of Pep Guardiola that takes the pressure away from the players. Maybe, I think that's a big thing. Maybe, 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 maybe he's bringing <laughs> some of that Mancunian swagger with him, Dave. Maybe he is, yeah, the swag. Really. Yeah, because Mancunian <laughs> swagger can sometimes be mistaken for, excuse me, being a dickhead. Um <laughs> Thanks, Lawrence. I'm only saying it. I'm only saying it. I have no doubt that Stephen Housen will be tweeting me within 20 minutes of the podcast going. God, I fucking, I fucking hope. So. I hope he calls you something rude. I hope. Yeah, I, me too. You know what? I, me too. Because I could do with some Twitter beef to beef up those numbers. Um, I hope he treats me like he treats DT. Um, and it, it was just banter. I'm only joking, Stephen. Put the phone down. Um, but oh, seriously, pick the phone up. Message me. Uh, love, I love chatting. Anyway, um, let's go back to said Premier League, Chris, uh, and let's talk a little bit about Liverpool. Liverpool won two 0 against Sunderland. Uh, David Moyes said it was going to be this sort of a game, um, and ultimately, uh, you know what? They frustrated Liverpool for a long time. Did Sunderland? And actually, when Coutinho went off with what looked like an awful broken leg, leading me and other people in the Liverpool uh, choir to sing, "No." It looked as if Liverpool maybe wouldn't break Sunderland down. Yeah, I thought I thought Sunderland were, were very Moyes-esque in the way that they played. It was, it was peak Moyes in a lot of ways. I think, honestly, it was a good test for Liverpool in, in that regard because so often when I've looked at their last few seasons, they've tended to slip up in, in games like this. They've either dropped points or, or lost the game altogether. Um and I think, look, the, the Origi goal, it wasn't Jordan Pickford's finest hour in, in between the sticks. But I think he was still able to produce uh, a good performance on it on his own. And Origi, I think, is, is improving as the time goes on. He's more important player for this team. I, I think the obvious takeaway, though, is, is Coutinho and what happens next with him because it looks as if he's going to be out until the new year, which is a sizable blow for this team just as he was trying to to move himself up to the world-class player that, that potentially he'd be. And it's about adaptation now for, for Liverpool and how they move forward. Very good point. And that, that's partly uh, why Liverpool fans will, be, will have been encouraged by what um, Divock Origi called the difficult time on the bench. Um, although you, you would expect that, obviously, he will have that as a young player. Uh, however, he came on and scored a good goal in what was described as classic Divock Origi style. Hopefully not the season when he was voted into the worst 11 in league. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, Roberto Firmino is also playing. Uh, and of course, 
in the end, Liverpool got the result. And that's what matters to the Anfield crowd. However, they will have been frustrated and will be worried and will be frustrated that in this run of games when they should be uh, going through the gears, they're actually just staying in third at the moment um, and maybe don't look as good as some Liverpool fans want them to be. Question, Lawrence. Do you think that um, this kind of gives Daniel Sturridge one last hurrah at Liverpool? I think it does. I, th- I mean, I think uh, Ari- I mean the fact that Origi came on uh, in the first place and that Daniel Sturridge was... I just want to make sure of that, actually, because I, I remember also thinking that's a little bit unusual. Yeah, Daniel Sturridge wasn't even in the subs for this one. Um, maybe Jesus. showing elements of what's going on at Liverpool, but may also just be showing that Daniel Sturridge's fitness, etc., isn't the same as it used to be. Um, Kristen, at this point, we're going to let you go. <laughs> exactly like that. Um, <laughs> and he steps he's out. A, he's out of there! He's out. Yeah, put him straight through the table. Anyway, it's been great to have Kristen on the podcast. He's over in America. He's doing things with people, family and friends, etc. Uh, so we have to understand that. And there's a reason why we do, because it is so good. Um, Chris, thanks a lot for coming on. At K Hennage on Twitter, K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. It's a shame, Dave, because I didn't get uh, enough time to ask him about what's going on with Tony. Big Tone. Tono Pulo, uh, who's been ordered to Tony pay... Tony Yep, who's been ordered to pay Crystal Palace... 3.77 million after deceiving the tribunal. Uh, what he basically did was apparently he took a bonus, um, not long, but uh, maybe even a day before leaving the club, uh, which the tribunal basically says is deceiving because he took an early payment, basically, uh, with the idea that he would go on and do better work at the club um, and then obviously left the next day, which looks a little bit, um, how can I put it? Um, Uh, suspect suspect yes Dave Uh, hence why he was suspected of doing something bad and then has been ordered to pay 3.77 million uh, to Crystal Palace Uh, hey Dave some good news for Crystal Palace right Uh, apparently uh, apparently Tony Pulis's lawyer didn't really cover any of them in glory Uh, just saying some very unusual and kind of marginally incriminating things about Tony Uh, But you have to read between the lines. You guys go and read about that. Um, Dave, let's talk about the radical change that The Guardian claims uh, Pardew needs to change uh, the job that he took over at Crystal Palace. Because they lost 5-4 away to Swansea this weekend (laughs) in a a crazy game. And it was crazy, wasn't it? It, 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 yeah, was, it was hardly beautiful football, and at the same, you know, it wasn't like there were fantastic goals. These were all sort of scrappy, weird goals to concede. Yeah, sort of like you were playing. You must have had one of those games on Fort Manager where it's like twenty minutes gone, right? And it's two-two, and you're like, I've just got to let this run out. Yeah, I've just got to keep attacking and keep scoring. That's what the game was like. You know, Swansea in a in a commanding lead, three three goals up. You know, three-one up on the sixty-eighth minute, <laughs> and then the game finishes. Out. Five four, absolutely incredible. Uh, but Fernando Lorente with a brace in it added time in the seven minutes added on. We were the true Jordy, weren't we? There um, on um, on Saturday, and he yeah. was well, he was electric. He was loving it because obviously, you know, uh, he he's not a big Pardew fan. Uh, there's one point where Pard, Pards obviously could have won the game, but didn't, Dave. Uh, and, and like you say, I was very happy for Fernando Lorente, who's obviously been through quite the journey since leaving Bilbao. Uh, at one point, you know, he 
he could have signed for Liverpool. Uh, Rafa Benitez was in for him. Quite a few people threw in for him. Um, I think hopefully this will like kick kickstart his uh, career in the Premier League because I, I love him as a striker. Like when you say him when he was that Bill Bow team was so good, so so good, and he was he was the pinnacle of it. He was the the man they played off. Um, you know they 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 did go long, but he'd he'd bring it down. He'd bring the the attacking midfielders that were behind him. You know your money Ains when he was about twenty years old, 19 years old, very exciting talent then, and the injuries have obviously taken down a peg since then, but Lorente was a top, top quality forward, and I hope that he does sort of kick on, but I think with Pardew, like, you, if you if you free one down and you bring it back to 4-3, like, you, you've, there's got to be something there where you, you just tell the lad, right, we're going to play six at the back, seven at the back, you know, we're just going to defend, Eight we've back. done so much here, and we can't get over the line. And that is what's most, that's what should be most disappointing for Palace fans is they, they, they fought back and they were in there and they'd done it and then they lost it. And I think that's that mentality that potentially Pardew brings is that they can't see it over the line. Yeah. Perfect point there, Dave. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, his opposite number because obviously Swansea bundled things over. We've spoken a little bit about uh, Fernando Lorente. We spoke a little bit about Pardew. Let's speak about Bob Bradley. Uh, this week, we got a, an email pretty much out of the blue uh, from Nipun of the ULF podcast. Fantastic United and Liverpool podcast covering all the things that if you're a United or a Liverpool fan, you want to know. And he basically said, hey, Loz, uh, this, there's a guy who's got the opportunity to speak to Bob Bradley. Uh, and he wants to get his message out there. And we said, sure, sounds good. Uh, so we, we said, sure, we'll help you out with the interview. And uh, since that interview has gone ahead by a guy uh, called Scott Nichols. You may know from online, you know him from a couple of different platforms. Anyway, we've made that into a full podcast, and that podcast will be out, I'm going to say Tuesday, just because the sooner it's out, sort of the better. Um, and that is an interview about a number of different subjects uh, for Bob uh, and his life. And it is, it's is—it's is a really interesting listen. Uh, not everyone on the podcast has heard it yet, but I have heard uh, a section of it as we go into this, and I'm about to go and listen to the rest as we finish up this recording before I go and chat to Scott about it. Anyway, we want you guys to listen to a little snippet here, which maybe gives you a good preview of everything else that's going to go on. Uh, so here we go. Scott Nichols, an exclusive for TF3 here with Bob Bradley. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just go straight into the, the, the game yesterday, because let, let's talk about it. You scored five goals, but conceded four, and, and as sort of an outsider looking in, you seem to me like a man who sort of likes a bit of structure and order, and I think you sort maybe you sort of lost that in that game yesterday. Could you just deconstruct um, the emotions of the day for us? Like, what was going through your head at that point? We went into the game feeling good. Uh, we had, I think, a good performance uh, at Goodison Park last week against Everton. Uh, I thought the first half there um, highlighted some of our best. Uh, periods of possession and uh, overall I think it was a good game uh, sometimes even on your best days the ball doesn't bounce the way you want at the end so we gave up a late equalizer uh, disappointed on that side of things but we were quite determined to to take the positives and uh, make sure that we had a really good week leading into uh, the Crystal Palace match which we we all recognize as being uh, important for many reasons and uh, like many games in the Premier League, uh, uh, a lot happens over 90 minutes. Uh, Crystal Palace decided yesterday to play Connor Wickham from the start with uh, Christian Benteke. So we knew going in that they would play in a more direct way. And uh, I think... Over the course of the first 35 minutes of the match, uh, especially in duels with Benteke, we didn't do well enough. And, and they scored uh, to take a 1-0 lead where Benteke uh, won a duel with one of our center backs, Jordi Amat. And uh, Zaha had come inside, and, and I don't think we did quite enough uh, getting inside quickly enough with him. And there was a little gap in the back four. And uh, at the end, Neil Taylor lost his balance a little bit, and Zaha was able to spin away and uh, nail one uh, from fairly close range, and, and Lucas Fabianski couldn't do too much about it. Uh, but I thought we had a pretty good response, and, and uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson scored a free kick somewhere around the 35th minute. We finished the half in a good way. Uh, at halftime, we spoke about changes, but felt – it made sense to let everything go at the start of the half as a reward for what we thought was a good finish to the half. Uh, somewhere around 15 minutes in, we uh, we made our first sub. We brought Fernando Llorente on, and, and he changes our team because over the first 60 minutes, we had used Gilfie uh, Sigurdsson as a little bit of a false nine. Uh, it gives us fluidity. Uh, he likes to come away from the defenders, and then the speed of Mo Barrow and Wayne Routledge can sometimes be effective as a threat. Uh, helps us a little bit in possession. Um, but when we bring Fernando on, he gives us uh, more of a presence. And, and from uh, the beginning, it helped. In fact, uh, when he went on, then it was an attacking corner for us. And immediately he got onto a, a really good delivery from Gilfie. And the uh, ball came loose, and, and Leroy Fair was able to knock it back in. We score a couple minutes later, again, off of a set-piece. So we take the lead with, with set-piece goals. And, and really what 
happens in the course of the game is uh, it flipped the other way because uh, at 3-1, I thought we conceded a, a poor goal um, from an attacking corner by Crystal Palace. Uh, we got pinned down low and the uh, ball bounced around and, and we didn't do a good job. Uh, the third goal, the 3-3, was just one of these plays where they put in a cross and uh, the flex off of Jack Cork and goes up into the corner. And quite honestly, at that point, you, you think, man, this team just needs some luck. Uh, this team <laughs> needs uh, something to, to turn it around. Uh, and so sure enough, we go down 4-3, but a uh, lot of injury time. Uh, Connor Wickham at the start of the second half, unfortunately, uh, got twisted up. Uh, no contact, but uh, an injury that could possibly be uh, ACL. And so the uh, fourth official had told us that there would be seven minutes of uh, added time. Uh, and so we knew we had a lot of time. And a credit to our guys, because in the midst of a tough season where there hasn't been much luck and where things uh, have, have not come easy, you could tell there was still a real strong resolve. And, and again, having uh, Fernando up front meant that we could be a little more direct at that point in the game. So for us, uh, an important win, important to uh, show our, our supporters that uh, this team is still focused and determined. Uh, it was the first home win of the season. So, uh, you know, it's it's been a season where a lot has taken place uh, beforehand new ownership i think many of your listeners will know that uh, american ownership and uh, with that there's there's always some questions and concerns and so um, the hardcore uh, supporters here still are uh, wanting to know what what the future holds and and trying to understand uh, the vision of uh, Jason Levine and, and Steve Kaplan. And, you know, in the midst of that, uh, a managerial change. Uh, Francesco Guidoline had started the season. And uh, I don't know Francesco well, but everybody that I've spoken to at the club uh, speaks about him in, in a really positive way. He's, he's a real football man. He uh, had a, has had an incredible uh, career as a manager. He's been at places like Udinese and Monaco, uh, Parma, but it's football. And so when results hadn't gone well after uh, seven matches, uh, that's when I was brought in. And the challenges when you arrive are, are big ones because when a team has gone through a, duff, uh, a tough stretch, um, Confidence is low, and, and so for me, you just need to get in and start to get as good an idea as you can of mentality of players, uh, physically, how's the group doing, what's been going on in training, spend a lot of time looking back on games, trying to see if there's any patterns in terms of goals conceded, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, for us yesterday, uh, the wind comes at a good time uh, for me personally. Uh, uh, also important because uh, I think since I arrived that uh, the work has been good. The players have responded 
really well to training. Uh, ideas uh, have been simple ideas. Uh, sometimes when you come into a situation like this, you have to understand a little bit of what the club football-wise has been about in the past and, and try to restore confidence by going back to the basics of what Swansea football has been about. And, and that has still centered around possession. And that has still been where defensively uh, there's a, a good sense as a group of what the defendant looks like. Uh, we have some players that I think have played better uh, with a, a version of a three-man midfield. So we've tried to uh, sort of take things that have worked well in the past and simplify the message and, and see if we can't get everybody going in the right direction. Well, that sounds like some really interesting stuff, Loz, from Scott Nichols. Make sure you go and check it out when we drop that on Tuesday. Anyway, that was Swansea's first win since the opening day of the season. It's been 11 games since Swansea picked up that win against Burnley. So hopefully this can kick them on to sort of fight outside the relegation zone. But they are, yeah. you know, they're looking good. They're looking like they've got character. Pretty interesting stuff. And obviously Swansea play Tottenham away next. And then they've got a key game uh, home uh, to Sunderland. And then they're also away to West Brom. They've got Middlesbrough then, West Ham, Bournemouth, Crystal Palace again away. If they don't win some of those games, then you've got to say that the season is shaping up badly. But we do wish Bob Bradley all the best. Uh, it's, it's good to have him on. Uh, and he obviously uh, is now a pod favourite and was before because the Christian connection, etc., etc. Dave, let's move on to some of the other results in the weekend. Um, where do you want to start, Dave? Should we go to the Midlands? Not literally. Yeah, let's go to the Midlands. That sounds sure. good to me. We'll go to the Midlands on this one. Uh, we'll start with Leicester. They uh, hosted uh, Middlesbrough, Dave, and they almost lost it. Mm, they almost threw it away. Um, obviously, coming back from was it a late penalty uh, that yeah. got them back into that we game? Had Mares. It, have you seen that little, little reaction from the kids? The kids watching, they were like, "Oh, they were so happy." Sky Sports <laughs> were fascinated by the way that kids could be um, excited by a goal. I found it very interesting their coverage. They just kept watching the kids and being like, "Oh, amazing! Kids can enjoy a goal." Really weird. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but this is the first time Negredo scored again from since the opening day of the season. Obviously, bagging the brace for Middlesbrough, and I think this Middlesbrough side will. They, they look a, they look a little bit better than Bournemouth um, in an offensive sense and, and defensive sense as well. So I expect them to just sit on mid table. Um, I think they've got some decent players players in there. Uh, Traore again was at his menacing best. Um, completed seven out of seven of his dribbles in the game. Um, so he's just going to be a threat to you know, whoever he play, play, uh, plays just because of his pace on that counter-attack. It's a good point, Dave. It, yeah, it's a very good point. Um, and obviously that's uh, a good result for both teams in that sense. They both come away with a point. What's changed at Leicester, though, Dave? It can't just be Kante, right? They're on 13 points. Although, I you know what? They we... weren't far off this last season. I think what we saw last season towards the back end of last season was that they they kind of won games by one goal and they were quite scrappy in a way. They, they'd nick a goal here, they'd nick a goal there. And I think with teams sitting a bit deeper against Leicester City, it's harder for Leicester City to break people down. If they continually play the same way, you know, they will come up against and they will struggle. Um, I think potentially what I mentioned before, Mahrez inside could be a good option for them. But it just doesn't quite, it doesn't feel as solid at the back, especially, you know, Danny Simpson and Fuchs 
aren't the greatest fullbacks. They suited playing deeper last season. They are being exposed now, and, and both Wes Morgan and <clears throat> Robert Huth, sorry. But also losing Schmeichel to injury is pretty big. You know, he's a leader at the back. He's a commander. Yeah. He saved them so many points last season with, you know, absolutely under, unbelievable saves. But I think his presence is definitely being missed recently. Yeah, very good point. Uh, elsewhere in the Premier League, Hull City, one all against West Bromwich Albion. Uh, West Bromwich doing well there uh, against Hull. Hull, of course, sitting literally one point behind West Ham, uh, the team who drew this weekend against Manchester United. Uh, it's just banter. Um, uh, Relegation battle, Lawrence. Yeah, Come on, man. Dave, you're above right that. Way. You're above this. Um, <laughs> Watford nil, Stoke uh, one uh, red card in that game uh, for what was uh, silly reasons in the end. Uh, Miguel... Britos sent off silly uh, elsewhere in the league Dave uh, Southampton won 1-0 against Everton relegating Koeman to a weird set of fixtures in which he's only seen one win in eight not to bang the Dave O'Brien drum Lawrence but <sighs> somebody Baron said at the start drum. of the season that he might start to struggle after a good start of the spell but fine no I think it, uh, this uh, Southampton team's finally coming together under uh, Puel and you saw another young lad uh, I can't remember. Sims uh, grabbing his, his debut and getting an assist on debut, working well in to get into the penalty area to get the assist for the goal. But I think Charlie Austin's going to be absolutely massive for Southampton this season if they can keep him fit. And he's looking like he's, you know, he's doing well at the moment. He's their top scorer with nine goals in all competitions this season. That's six more than any other Southampton player. So he is going to be crucial to their attack for the, for Europe this season. It's true. It was Josh Sims, Dave. Josh Sims. Josh Sims. Josh. Sorry. Lovely little Josh. Joshy boy. Uh, Jay, Rod Jay Rodriguez remained on the bench while Sam McQueen, uh, Shane Long, and of course Jordi Classy all ended up with substitutes. Uh, anyway, uh, we will now go again away from us. Uh, we're going to go to Italy, Dave. Fancy a trip? Bye. Great. Uh, Adam, <laughs> Adam Boltwood <laughs> is uh, taking us there, of course, with uh, our one and only. Syria expert uh, expert on this pod is Marco Messina. So joining me now to talk Serie A and how the title race is shaping up in Italy is none other than Marco Messina from Italian Football TV. Marco, welcome. I'm so happy to be here, Adam. Thank you for having me. Marco, the pleasure's all ours. Um, I'm sure for those who don't know you, they won't know that you're always smiling. I'm not <laughs> sure that would have been true this afternoon, though, when your side, Juventus, slumped to a shock 3-1 defeat at mid-table Genoa. Uh, two goals early on from none other than Diego Simeone's son Giovanni, an own goal from Alexandro, giving Genoa a 3-0 lead at half-time. Uh, superb free-kick consolation from Miralem Pjanic late on, but by all accounts, a bad day at the office for the league leaders, Marco. Listen, listen, I'm still smiling because top of the league, top of the Champions League group. Yeah. So I'm a little bit happy. But uh, today was, was a disaster. Um, it was a first half that uh, watching Juventus for the past six years, I haven't seen a half like that in a very, very long time. Uh, completely lost the plot. Allegri went with a very, very different formation. Um, and Giovanni Simeone, he capitalized on a lot of the defensive mistakes. You know, we saw Dani Alves in, in a center-back partnership in a back three, and he really looked out of place. Um, and then he also went off injured with Bonucci. Uh, you know, he broke his leg too, his tibia, Dani Alves. So it, it was definitely a bad day. Um, and Juventus looked a lot. Uh, the performance was very similar to how Juventus have looked this season. If you've watched Juventus a lot, 
they haven't been playing good, but they've been getting the results. Today, it didn't go our way, but Genoa is also a team who put three past Milan, and they're, they're a team known for fighting, and they're undefeated at home too. Uh, so very poor from, uh, from Juventus, but Genoa is definitely a team to keep watching. If you ever see them play a top team in Italy, definitely watch that game. They're up to ninth now with that win. But I mean, in terms of, of Juventus' performance, as you say, there were sloppy defensive errors. Uh, Bonucci guilty uh, for the first goal, it has to be said. Mm-hmm. I mean, who do you sort of blame for for those defensive errors? Because at the end of the day, Juventus were down 3-0 at half-time. That's something that hasn't happened, I think, in 11 years. I think Opta were, were tweeting out earlier this afternoon. I mean, obviously, there's a number of injuries there. Is that kind of the key reason for, for these errors? Yeah, since it's been 12 years, you're right. Since 2004, they haven't conceded three goals. That's it. Um, I think it's a little bit, it's a mix of, of, of all those things. And I think that uh, injury-wise, you know, Barzai, Chiellini weren't there. That's a back three that's been there for a long time. Um, Dybala is still out. Marquisio is still not fully fit. Um, the midfield is still looking for partnerships. Um, and with the new players that were brought in, I think that there's, I, I spoke about this on my channel today for, for uh, the Juventus game. I think there's a lack of, what Juventus fans will call Juventinita, really understanding Juventus. You know, quality players. You know, you talk about a guy like Mandzukic. When he scores, Juventus do good. Iguain bought for 90 million. You know, quality players, but still not that connection that, that like what Buffon plays with. Today, Buffon was so good. And he's that, that player that just keeps fighting and pushing that extra mile. And I think that the connection with the midfield is a little bit off. And, and the, the injuries have definitely played a part with it. But still, despite the injuries, Juventus need to be playing better than what they have been. Mm. How worried are you about those injuries long term? Because, I mean, as you say, uh, Dybala and Barzagli are on the sidelines. Alves, uh, I think it was a fractured fibula. or He sort of broke his leg there. I mean, the referee seemed to give a foul against Alves for that one, which seemed a bit uh, ridiculous. But, you know, he's now facing potentially the rest of the season now. We don't know how bad that is. Benucci, of course, limped off as well. Um, the club came out and said that was a, a thigh injury. As you said, Higuain was, uh, was fit enough for the bench and came on at the end. But, I mean, do you, do you yes. worry that these injuries could sort of have an impact going forward at what could be a crucial time for Juventus this season? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that luckily Dybala should be back next week. I think he's been very missed. If you watch the game too, Iguain was almost mm. playing in a Dybala position when he came in, trying to pick up the ball. There's not that creative spark. I think that uh, there's, the quality on the bench, it, it's there. I think in the midfield we are lacking, but when you talk about having a guy like Benatia who usually plays on the bench, or even Rugani who's a young player, but he's got feet to play. Um, I just think that the gel is not there. And definitely the injuries are a little bit scary. But uh, Juventus have been through worse, especially last year. If you think about how many points they've racked up already compared to last year where they weren't playing well, I think that once Juventus start playing well, it's going to start to be scary. Mm-hmm. And I think that with the, with the injuries that they've already faced, uh, yes, Dani Alves will be a big loss if he's out for three or four months. Yes. Hopefully, Bocci is not very out for too long. Uh, but I think I think Allegri will find the solution. I mean, it's interesting you point out that they're perhaps not playing uh, to their full capacity this season. Have we haven't yet seen the quality we you know Juventus are capable of? I mean, are you still confident that at the end of the day they are going to be able to achieve that sixth, that incredible sixth successive Scudetto? I think that uh, in Italy, uh, a lot of a lot of fans have almost given up on the fact they say Juventus is going to win the Scudetto, and I really don't think I, I've been saying since the beginning. I said I don't think it's as simple as it seems. You know, winning Conte once said uh, when he was at Juventus, he said winning is hard, 
but continuing to win is even harder. And I think there is a lot of pressure. Uh, but at the end of the day, I do think Juventus will win the Scudetto, but it won't be as runaway as people thought earlier in the season. And now you'll start hearing, you know, today everyone's saying, wow, Roma and Milan are four points away. Who would have thought that they could have been four points away? And I think that the gap will decrease. But at the end of the day, I think Juventus will come away with the Scudetto. As you say, Juventus maintained that four-point gap to second place despite their defeat to Genoa. Roma in second on 29 points. What have you made of them, Marco? Because they keep up the pressure, of course. It was a narrow 3-2 win over Pescara. Uh, Diego Perotti with the winner after a brace from Eddie Dzeko now has 12 goals in 14 appearances for Roma. Perhaps a somewhat undeserved victory, though, and not exactly inspiring given that Roma have a tough and potentially defining run coming up themselves. They've got the derby of Lazio, uh, Milan at home, and then Juventus away. Roma did uh, two polar opposites today. They did a classic Roma, but they also got the win. Roma are very are known for making things much more difficult than it needs to be. And that's what they did against Pescada. Pescada, who is in relegation zone, I think they're in 18th or 19th place. Uh, but at the end of the day, the guy that you said, Edin Dzeko, 12 goals in 14 matches, he is leading this Roma. And you could tell because of the confidence that his players and his teammates have in him to give him the ball. Perotti sent in a beautiful ball today. Last week in the Europa League, Rudiger sent in a great ball to Edin Dzeko, and he is just putting the ball in the back of the net. And I think that Dzeko for sure is making the difference with, with those 12 goals. And um, they've got Perotti, who, who's fantastic. He's setting up. He scored five penalties actually out of five. I thought that was pretty funny. He's only scored penalties. Um, and Salah, if, if listen, if Salah could score, this guy would be messy. But he can't <laughs> score. And, and he sets Jekyll up a lot. He misses a lot of shots. And uh, I, I think their attack is very good. They've got defensive mistakes. They're missing Manolas. Manolas is still out. He should be back next week. Yeah. Uh, but I think that Roma... I think Espaletti could keep getting it together. He needs to keep building. They started off very bad by getting out of the Champions League right away, and that took, that took a lot out of him, and they felt that drought. But I think that Roma is starting to get better. Uh, what we've made of AC Milan and they're uh, on the same points as Roma in third on 29 mm -hmm. points uh, a third win in the last four games for them with a 4-1 victory over Empoli poor first half for them but a much better showing in the second half by Milan with Suso who's the man of the moment scoring in his third, third match running um, I mean uh, what have you made of them because outside of Italy um, uh, in England you know we're viewing that AC Milan in third place do you reckon they can sustain a, a potential title challenge this season? Uh, absolutely spectacular. That's how I would describe Milan. I'm standing up right now, giving them a round of applause. I'm really, I really am proud of them. You know, I'm a Juventus fan, but Milan is a team that that's needed to do well in in Italy, especially for our European ambitions. Um, and I think that Milan have built on a great strategy. They've got Vincenzo Montella in the beginning of the season, who a lot of people did not want, but he's brought a, a beautiful type of football to Milan and they are playing so many Italians in their lineup that it's making Milan fans extremely happy. That's also a nice point to them. They've got pillars that are young Italian guys. This kid Locatelli, Donnarumma, Romagnoli, uh, Lapadula, he's not young, but when he's coming in, he's, he's done very, very good. And I think that they, they're extremely young side, they play good football, they are finally getting the results behind them. This game last year, Empoli Milan, Milan would not have won it. Milan would not have killed off the game, and this year they did. That's the difference between Milan this year. That's the difference between Milan this year and the Milan that we saw for the past 
four or five years. Mm. Lazio then uh, rounding up the top four. They're just a point behind Roma and AC Milan on 28 after beating, well, edging past Palermo, who fall to a club record seventh successive defeat, Marco. Uh, being from Palermo, I was kind of hoping for a little bit uh, for them. You know, we've got a sweet spot <laughs> for them. Uh, but Lazio under Simone and Zaghi have been beautiful. Their front three, Felipe Anderson, Keita Balde, and Chido Immobile, are a force to be reckoned with, to say the least. Uh, Lazio had a lot of struggles in the summer. They had Bielsa as their coach at one point, And then I think two days later, he resigned as the coach. Um, and Fans were so upset, so much hope for Bielsa. And then you go to Inzaghi, who only took over from the youth team. But Inzaghi is playing similar to like Milan, um, very young team that's quick and agile and dangerous from so many regards. And actually, Milinkovic Savic, a midfielder, scored the winning goal for them. And if you watch the game, you could see how Felipe Anderson, Keita Balde, and Chiro Immobile all held that space, spread out, where Palermo were watching those three dangerous guys. Meanwhile, Milinkovic Savic put the ball in the back of the net. So they're very dangerous from different angles. Mm. And how about, finally, a word for Atalanta, who round out the top five. They're also on 28 points uh, in fifth place after a 2-0 win away at Bologna. Their sixth league win in a row, and they're eighth in their last nine games. Atalanta, and I'm going to shout out Torino in there too, have put a <laughs> smile on my face. Um, Atalanta specifically being called the Leicester City of Italy at the moment wow. because of how unbelievable they are doing. They are racking up some serious points under Gasperini, who's got this team playing some beautiful, beautiful football. It's unbelievable that they are in a European spot. Uh, this, there's a video that we tweeted from our YouTube account um, that that uh, that shows you in Bergamo what they are doing uh, to the team. They're going crazy. They're setting off fireworks. They're so happy. And this team plays beautiful football. Um, they've got this center back, Caldada. You've got to remember the name. He's a, a fantastic fantastic player and then up top with Petania a young Italian strong player Papu Gomez and Kurtic uh they're they're another team that's very hard to to defend how about that shout out for Torino then they are sixth with 25 points the main man the former Spurs man Iago Falque with two first half goals for them I would argue that the main man is Andrea Belotti Il Gallo Belotti uh this guy Belotti He's got 21 goals in 2016, the most for an Italian striker. Um, he's got the most goals for the national team since 2000, the best goal scoring ratio already. He's only played three games, um, and he is the player to watch. Every European team is going to want this kid. He's 22 years old, extremely strong, and his formation with Yago Falke, like you said, who Yago Falke is doing fantastic, and Jajic, those three, I believe Torino has the most goals in Serie A. Don't quote me on it, but I'm 90% sure that they've outscored every team in Italy. Um, and seriously, if you do one thing from this, remember Andrea Bellotti. They're, they're just two goals behind Roma in terms of goals scored in the league. So okay, almost, they're almost there. Today, so I'll give you that. Um, Marco, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and giving us a, a roundup on Serie A. If the listeners want to find more of you, where can they go? I, I run a YouTube channel called Italian Football TV where we cover uh, Serie A and all Italians abroad in English. So if you're if you're interested in Italian football or Conte, anyone abroad, come to our channel. Guys, I highly recommend it. Go and check out Italian Football TV. Thanks again to Marco. 
Marco Messina there talking to Adam Boltwood about Siri, our great coverage. Uh, Marco, thanks a lot for coming on. Lovely guy. Uh, and really interesting questions from Adam, who is now away, sadly. Good guy. Good guy. Uh, and he's, you know what? Some of them is good people. Uh, Dave, talk to me about the game, which they didn't get a chance to cover because this was recorded pre Syria result where... Jesus, that's a good score. Uh, we're into Milan, one four two at home against Fiorentina. Yeah, it was a it was a top top display from Pioli's men, um, putting a lot of pressure on Pablo Paolo Sosa. You know, he's under since he took over from Montella, a team that was already well drilled, already very good on the ball last season. He kind of you know rode the wave, but now Fiorentina is sitting in ninth position in Syria and. People are calling for his head as manager. But this inter-team, what a transformation. If you saw them at the start of the, of the season under Frank de Boer, they were just awful. They were so boring to watch. What Pioli's already done is he's brought tempo back into the side. They started so well into Milan. They scored three goals inside 20 minutes. And you want to go and check out Acardi's goal. One of the best finishes I've seen this season. Not in terms of that it's a very clinical finish, that it's one touch and he puts the ball in the back of the net. It's his composure in the penalty area. So he gets played through, he's in the penalty area, he cuts inside, wonderful little bit of play, and you think he can hit it there, hit it there. But he slows down, brings the ball back onto his right foot, cuts back inside and slides under the goalkeeper. What a finish there. But I feel this, this Inter Milan team are going to start rocketing up the league. They're already in eighth position. Icardi, again, absolutely pivotal. He's been directly involved in 15 goals in Serie A this season. What a player. Ooh, interesting stuff. Uh, Dave, do you think Icardi is going to be somewhat of a... Um... A transfer, a focus in January mm. for some press press members out there. I don't think it'll be January to be honest. I think because one of the things that actually he said out recently in the in the press uh, was that he wanted an Italian manager. He felt like only an Italian manager could sort this Inter Milan team out. And purely is Italian and he's come in, so I think Icardi will give him to the end of the season. But I, I expect in the summer, the the transfer bust will start banging. Conte and is going to get aboard. Conte, it is. Uh, Whoa, to Chelsea. Yeah. Wow. Hey, but hey, Dave, you know what? Uh, Jose Mourinho is not looking too... He, he did very well in Italy and he's got a couple of comparable starts to an Italian manager. So you mm. never know. Uh, and who knows <laughs> who Arsenal could go for next? Ooh, all the load of narrative lines there. Uh, <laughs> elsewhere in Spain, let's go there. Sounds great. Weather's lovely. Real Madrid, two, sporting hee-haw. Uh, one, Ronaldo, Dave. Yeah, I think it's, it was a big performance for Bale, obviously losing Gareth Bale to injury earlier on in the week. He's been pretty good this season, Gareth Bale. I feel like he was um, driving them forward in the final third in terms of his ability to carry the ball. But now this team is going to be built around Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and I think Cristiano Ronaldo will step up to the plate. Obviously, I'd say he's going to win the Ballon d'Or. That's probably something we're going to talk about in the next the next week or so, given that it's coming up. Let's do that on our Q&A this week. Uh, sounds good, yeah. So Q&A related... Ballon d'Or questions, please. Um, but I think someone like Marcus, Marco Asensio gets... His form at the start of the season was absolutely fantastic. Got in to the team. I think he potentially could be the guy that steps in and replaces Bale. Whoa, really? I, I, I think Zidane does like him. Um, Vasquez did start at the weekend against Sporting Gijon. Um, but I do think there's definitely, there's definitely time for, him, for some Asensio in your life. Yeah, interesting point. Uh, let's go over to there. Um, well, one of the other main rivals for the title, Leo Messi, managed to get a goal after Barcelona one nil down to Real Sociedad whilst they were away from home. But this left them with a couple of questions in their mind, didn't it, Dave? 
Yeah, I think, you know, uh, from some of the stuff that I saw Barcelona playing on Wednesday night, and I think this was replicated in the game against Sociedad, their midfield isn't looking too tasty without uh, Andres Iniesta in it, unfortunately. It's weird. You you see the even Rakitic of uh, Sevilla and how he used to carry the ball and carry the team in terms of a ball-playing sense. He doesn't do the same role for Barcelona. He has a lot of defensive work to do, obviously, covering Lionel Messi on that right-hand side. And Gomez has come in and he's... At Valencia, he was quite an expansive player and he was their playmaker, but it seems like he's lost a little bit of confidence in terms of playing you know, what you'd class as more dangerous passes, you know, more aggressive passes, passes into the final third. And he's a little bit too square in this Barcelona team. And again, their front three is getting the ball a little bit too early in the attacks. So it's easy for teams to sit back, double up on those players, you know, the likes of Neymar and Messi, who do come deep and pick up the ball and turn. What you want is you want that midfield two of the Rakitic, Rakitic and uh, Gomez there ahead of Busquets to push a little bit forward, then dict- dictate the play in the final third to create 1v1s for Messi and for Neymar. At the moment, Neymar and Messi are getting the ball a little bit too deep. So I want to see them further up the pitch with the midfielders further up the pitch. And I think that would help them out. But again, going to Sociedad at the moment is a difficult task. They're one of the form teams of uh, La Liga this season. are doing yeah. very well in fifth position in the league. So they are not, um, you know, they can't underestimate them as a side. They've got the, f- the second best form in the league as well um, with four wins and a draw in their last five games. But again, Barcelona just struggling away from home at Sociedad. It's something that's been a, in recent memory. It's been something that's happened time and time again. It puts Barcelona are six points off the top uh, with and level on points for Sevilla, but a significantly bigger goal difference. <laughs> Nine, plus 19 compared to Sevilla's plus six. Uh, Atletico Madrid, uh, who have a goal difference of plus 17. Uh, are, which I, I know some of you statisticians will probably cringe uh, in that sense. Um, but you still get what I'm saying. Uh, Atletico Madrid sitting fourth on 24 points. Uh, having... A frustrating time uh, is maybe an understatement uh, for them, but they still won 3-0 against Osasuna. Um, I saw a crazy stat. I think it was from our pal Ewan McTair who said something along the lines of um, Atletico have only conceded one shot within their penalty area this season or something crazy. Like It was, a, it was an absolutely nuts stat um, that I was just like mind blown. Like, you know, that's that's very, very impressive if that is the case. Yeah, no, it really is. That is good, isn't it? That's actually very mm. good. Uh, anyway, uh, elsewhere, we can go over to League. Uh, Dave, just finish finish off the podcast there because you know it's Q and A during the midweek. Get your questions in for that. Uh, but we'll we'll talk a little bit about League first. Uh, where looking at the table, it's pretty fascinating. One needs still sit top, uh, just by one point though, as PSG and Monaco sit in second. P- PSG Puzg as we call him, 1-2-1 uh, one, away to uh, Olympic Lyon, Dave. Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting game, but a game that I actually I fell asleep after about 65 minutes. Yeah, I sense. wasn't that enthralled by the football. Um, in the first half, PSG did dominate the did dominate possession. Lyon just looking for the counter-attack. But Lyon, on that left-hand side, they played two left-backs in um, Rebus and Morel, and they, they didn't have any outlet on that side, and it kind of started to cost them. They didn't have anything on the break. Lacazette looked so isolated. Second half, um, the manager makes two big changes uh, with uh, Valbuena coming on. Um, he was the big impact, to be quite honest. I think he brought on another lad as well, but Valbuena obviously making an instant impact, grabbing the goal. But he started to uh, you know, help them out a little bit more on that counter-attack. But Cavani, again, the man at the moment, he does miss chances, but he gets himself into those positions. It's such a weird one. Cavani's like, he's sort of like the Marmite of football strikers. 
in that some people are think, oh, he's rubbish because they've watched a few Champions League games where, to be fair to him, he has like 10 shots and probably should score 10 goals and only gets two or something like that. But then in Liga, he's pretty dominant. He is killing teams again. He's sort of finally stepping into the, the shoes of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which are pretty big shoes to fill. They are big shoes, yeah. Zlatan, of course, who's staying for a little bit longer at United. Uh, anyway, let's... Yay! You know what we haven't... You know what we didn't talk about? Uh, obviously, Nice in that league uh, stayed up by one point, having drawn uh, one all on the weekend. Let's quickly go to Bundesliga, Dave, where Red Bull Leipzig... Oh, sorry, RB Leipzig... Uh, it doesn't stand for Red Bull, you moron. Um, are, are three <laughs> points uh, away uh, at the top of the table from, well, the one only Bayern Munich. Meaning, Dave, that they're in good form after that 4 1 win away at Freiburg. They are rising bull sport. Leipzig are um, in, in top form. And I think Feuchberg is has been one of the players of Europe this season. He's been absolutely fantastic. He's he's a player that sort of comes off from the left wing and likes to enter the the sort of ten pocket of space that is because of how Leipzig play, where they do play two strikers that do like to run the channels. The space opens up for Feuchberg to come in, and he's so so good in that area. You know, the last the week before he was man of the match, and again on Friday night he was man of the match, and he's just been fantastic. I think he's registered more assists than any other player in Europe's top five leagues. But he's a real talent. If you haven't watched him yet get on him because again he's going to be a player like Icardi that's getting on the transfer bus in the summer oh interesting uh very interesting okay Dave well it's been good to have you thank you very much thanks for good to us. have you as well Lawrence yeah thank no, you. right I was, no one ever says that to me uh, <laughs> yeah anyway uh threw me off a little bit that you said about that it threw me off I, I ended up feeling Sorry, unnatural mate. I've got a so, cab waiting outside for me sometimes I need to be like you know good work Lawrence you you, you did well buddy Thanks, Dave. Yes. <laughs> Simply yes. Uh, anyway, uh, get through to us on all the normal uh, social media sides. Uh, you can go for us on Twitter. That's probably the best place to go. Or, of course, oh, YouTube. Yeah. Go over there. Dave is releasing a great video tonight. We're hitting you with so much content at the beginning of the week. Breaking, breaking news tomorrow morning, Lawrence. Either way, Dave, we've got an get exclusive pumped. tomorrow morning with Bob Bradley. So fuck your shit. Um, <laughs> but either way, it's fine. Uh, we'll see you guys again real soon on TF3 thank you very much for listening with Adam Chris, Dave and Lawrence this week and of course two other guys, three other guys actually including Bob Bradley in there don't forget to go and listen to the full exclusive interview that we got with him Uh, thank you very much to Scott for that and of course thank you very much to Marco for telling us all about Syria let us know guys uh, know what you think for the midweek questions and answer session we are of course looking forward to the EFL Cup Uh, and we will do some reviews of that midweek. But until then, enjoy your football. (laughs) Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 